love Palm Sunday. And this might seem strange if you're watching online, but can we give a hand for those kids? They just, it was really great. For them to come in, pass their bedtime uh, on a Tuesday night was fantastic. I, you know, if, if you're just joining us um, here and you're new to our church, you never had a chance to come in person on a Palm Sunday, I, I want to invite you to do that sometime. This last Sunday, we had 120 kids in kids' church. That means about one in every four of the people who were there on Sunday morning were under the age of 12. You know, we, we love kids at our, at our, um, at our church and we try to do the best we can to follow that example of Jesus who welcomed children in. And there's something powerful about seeing them reenacting a very real thing that happened in history so long ago. We need this reminder. We need this reminder of who God is and what God does, especially in a week like this. We're filming on a Tuesday night. And so for many of us, that school shooting, the latest, and I hate using the word latest, and school shooting should not have to ever, well, school and shooting should never have to come together, let alone latest in school shooting. I mean, it's still really fresh. And so that's why you hear these, these kids in this song singing the word Hosanna. You know what the word Hosanna means? Save us. There's no direct translation. It's, it's save us. It's a cry out. Like, save us, we're under occupation, we're in trouble, we're in danger. It's also a praise at the same time. Doesn't that seem like something we need right now? To be able to say, God, we're turning to you, save us, we're putting our trust in you. Especially in a time like this. We need to be reminded of who God is and what God does. And in a world as broken as ours, one of the questions that we wrestle with is, how do we live in such a way where people can see that God is still working in people's lives today. And this is who he is. And this is what he does. How can we help people see that when they, they see us? Well, if you want to understand the essentials of authentic Christianity, what does that look like? What does authentic faith look like lived out? I can't think of a better place to turn than in those events that we're commemorating starting today through Holy Week. The events of the first Holy Week. The events of Palm Sunday through Easter. So we're going to be looking at something that happened during that time. This is the essential that we're going to look at today. If you're taking notes, I want to invite you to write this down. During Holy Week, Jesus gave a new command that very few suburban churchgoers take seriously. Now, before we ask ourselves some hard questions about are we taking that serious, um, let's do something that suburban Christians are much better at, and let's point some fingers at others. How does that sound? But because we're such good churchgoers ourselves, uh, we'll point our fingers at imaginary people, right? So let's do that. We're going to point our fingers at some others, and then we'll do the harder work of looking at ourselves in the mirror here. So uh, let's point some fingers at imaginary people. These imaginary people are in a movie that I think is still out right now. It's called The Jesus Revolution. If you haven't had a chance to see that, it's, a, it's an interesting movie. So get ready to point your fingers at some churchgoers in that movie who missed the point, missed the point of what Jesus was doing. The movie is loosely based on a revival that happened in the 60s and 70s in Southern California. God was doing something really unexpected, really unexpected, and most churchgoers missed it. In the movie, there's a small church, and that church is struggling. Well, one day, the pastor's daughter invites a hippie home, invites a hippie home, and the hippie's name was Lonnie. The hippie in this movie looked an awful lot like the stereotype that a lot of us have for Jesus. He had the long brown hair, he had the long beard, even his clothes looked like he was wearing a robe. And he had this presence about him that was loving, but it also had this this strength. Well, over coffee at the family table, Lonnie the hippie says this to the pastor. He says, I know 
we might seem pretty strange to you. But if you look a little deeper and you look with love, you're going to find a bunch of kids who are looking for all the right things. They're looking, though, in the wrong places. He said, Pastor, they're sheep without a shepherd. And they're chasing hard, but they're chasing after lies. And the trouble is, he went on to say, your people reject them. Reject them. So I asked you, so how can they believe? How can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? We can only walk through the doors that are open to us. In your church, well, that's the door that's closed. And that moved this pastor. It moved his heart. And, and he said, we, we can't do that. Now, to be clear here, it's one thing if people self-select out of a church and they say, I don't want to come because I don't want to listen to what the Bible has to say. That's one thing. But that's not what was going on here. This, this wasn't that. These were people who were really looking to try to understand God, but they were being shut out because of the way they dressed and the way they looked and some of the things they had done in the past. Well, it had been easy up until that point. It had been easy for the church members to just coast along. And here comes this group of people that were open to learning about God. But again, they're being shut out by people, churchgoers, who weren't living out the things they were singing about. They weren't listening, doing the things that the sermons were about. And they weren't doing the things they were even talking about in their Bible studies. They were, again, they were just coasting along. They were coasting along with the style of teaching they preferred, the style of music they preferred, and with people that looked like them and dressed like them and thought like them. But now they're being challenged. Now they're being challenged to rethink their paradigms for what church was. And as their church began to change into something that was more like the vision that Jesus cast for his people, some of the church leaders and some of the key donors, they pulled the pastor aside. And they said, Pastor, you keep going this direction, we're leaving. We're leaving. We'll take our money with us. So if you haven't already, here's a good place you can put those pointing fingers out. You can point them at those churchgoers because what have they been doing? They've been treating church like a consumer, like a consumer treats a business or some kind of club, which is very, very, very different than this new command that Jesus gave during Holy Week. So different. I love this quote that I came across as I was studying this passage that we're going to look at today. Here's the quote. The gospel is a life to be lived and not just an ideal to be contemplated. Can I get a amen? Amen. All right. Well, if we're ready now to stop pointing our fingers at imaginary people, let's do some honest reflection. Let's take a look at that new command that we find that was given by Jesus during Holy Week. If you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to open up with me to John chapter 13. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 35, at least most of those. And if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd invite you to go right now. Go to Bible.com. You can download a free Bible app. It's an outstanding one that you can find there. All right, the passage that we're about to look at here, this takes place on a historical timeline. It takes place the Thursday of Holy Week. So Jesus had come into town, like we just commemorated there, with the triumphal entry, and now we're at Thursday. This is the eve of his execution and his trial and his betrayal. Jesus is in an upper room with the disciples. He's sharing a meal with them. And then one of the noteworthy things about John, as John talks about these events in the upper room, John really doesn't say much at all about the meal. And one of the reasons that scholars think that is is because the book of Mark had already been written, and John, a lot of these scholars think, well, this has already been written down. John is giving new content. 
He's adding content, and he was an eyewitness, so here are some things that he noticed. All right, let's start with verse 1. John 13, verse 1 says this, Now before the Feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And the reason that I'm highlighting this word love in this passage is because John highlights it in these chapters. Why do I say John highlights it in these chapters? I say that because in the first 12 chapters of John, he only uses the word love six times. In the entire first 12 chapters. You know how many times he uses it in like these four or so chapters right here in the upper room? 31. 31 times in just these few chapters in this, this last download into his disciples 31 times. He uses it in the upper room. So what we're about to see here, this is love in action. This is Jesus showing, talking about. This is Jesus modeling. This is love in action. So keep that in your mind as we see what unfolds here. All right, let's go back to our verse, uh, our text, verses 2 through 4. During the supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. All right. Lots to unpack here. Let me go real quick. Jesus knows that he's about to be betrayed by one of his disciples. He's going to be denied by another disciples, and then he's going to be deserted by all of them. So keep that in mind as we keep reading. I I love N.T. Wright. He puts it like this. He goes, this is about love betrayed, not just love portrayed. We're about to see the love of God in action. And why do I say the love of God when we're looking at Jesus? I say that because if you you read through John, in John chapter 1, Jesus is referred to as the word who was with God and was God. In chapter 5, Jesus reveals that he only does what the Father does. If you have your Bible, I mean, one of the reasons we encourage you to bring your Bibles is look at the headers. Look at the headers leading right up to this, leading up to chapter 12. I especially like start around chapter 10. You read these headers without even reading all the context. You read the headers. Jesus is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus revealed that he and his father are one. That comes up again in these chapters. Jesus has the authority, we see, in these chapters leading up, to call someone forth from the grave. That's found in in that story about Lazarus. That's found in John. So all of that makes this next verse that we're about to look at absolutely shocking. Absolutely shocking. Here's the next verse. Verse 5. So he ties his towel around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to do what? Wash the disciples' feet. Wash the disciples' feet. Now, those of you who have heard this text talked about in depth before, you've heard these things. For others, this might be really, really helpful. Because I, I, I knew that that would be a big deal. It's a really, really big deal. In fact, we don't have any direct equivalent in our culture to this. There's nothing that's a direct equivalent. I, I tried to come up with something. The best I could come up with was this. Maybe, or imagine, the greatest authority figure you can conceive of. So get a, get a picture of whatever that looks like. Who is the greatest? When I say greatest, not only the most powerful, the greatest in the sense of their character, everything. Try to get the ideal authority figure and imagine them scrubbing a toilet in a public restroom 
at a banquet in a massive convention center, and they're the guests of honor at that banquet. That, that's the closest I can come to this, that he's doing that. And, and the reason I say those kind of things, earlier this week, we just, again, commemorated this with the kids. Jesus rode into Jerusalem at a time and in a manner that set himself up as the Messiah, the Christ, the one that they had been waiting centuries for. People were shouting, Hosanna. And it, it wasn't just those things that I said earlier. It was also in that time, in that place with Jewish people. That was a war cry. And John is the only one that mentions the palms. Palms, that was a nationalistic symbol. It, it, some say, you know, well, it was about the donkey, maybe, but but that was a nationalistic sim, a symbol. That's why they're waving these things. He's the king. He's the savior that they've been waiting centuries for. And how did he demonstrate his love? By washing their feet. In that time and in that place, this was a, a task, like an everyday task. Because people were walking around in sandals or barefoot. And the roads were dirty and dusty. So every day, this is something you would do. You would wash your feet. Now, if you were wealthier, you would have someone else wash your feet. But they go back and they look at these historical documents. There are historical documents that say, if you had a Jewish slave and you were Jewish, you didn't have your Jewish slave wash your feet because that was too demoralizing. You would only do that, have a slave who wasn't Jewish do it. Now, in some other of these ancient texts, you'll find a couple rare examples of maybe a child would, or a, or a wife would wash their husband or father's feet as a way to show respect. You have a, a couple, a few incidents where a disciple would maybe wash the feet of their master. But this was generally something that you did yourself or you had the lowliest slave do for you. And who's washing whose feet in this? Jesus is washing the feet. Of his disciples. And what's the context? The context is a meal. In that time and in that place, status was a big deal. In that time and that place, meals were a place where you showed your status. So you would literally sit it based upon your status in that group. So Jesus, he's all of these things, and it's at a meal where you show your status, and what does he do? He washes the feet. Let's jump ahead to verse 12. After he had done this, he washed their feet. He put on his outer garments and he resumed his place and said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, you're right, for so I am. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as what? I've done to you. And now here comes that new commandment. A little bit later, let's jump ahead to verses 34 through 35. A new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Could you read this next part with me? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love, have love for one another. All right, these two verses merit some unpacking here. Let's start with that word commandment. If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. Serving our Christian brothers and sisters as Jesus modeled and taught it's more than a suggestion. It's a what? It's a, it's a commandment. Now, as we discussed earlier, this commandment, this is who God is. This is what God does. This is how God loves. If God's love then abides in us, what are the implications? The implications are we would also do this. Because it's who we are, it's because who God is, and on top of all that, it's a command. If you ever heard the term Maundy Thursday, 
which when I was little, I'm like, why do we call it Monday, Thursday? Anyone else used to think that Monday, Thursday? It's not Monday, Thursday. It's Monday, Thursday. Um, why do we call it that? The word Monday comes from Latin, which means command. And that comes from this verse right here. A new command I give you, that you love one another as I've loved you. Now, the command to love one another is not new. That, that goes back to Old Testament times. What's new here is Jesus saying, love as. Love as. I've loved you. And then Jesus went on to say those challenging words. It is by this that people will know you're my disciples. Not by how good we are at pointing our fingers and going, look at how bad those other people are. Not by that. Not by us being able to boast, I am so good at sin management. Or better said, I'm good at image management because if you saw my personal life, it's not by that. It's not because churches get it, quote, right on the way they teach or the right music or avoiding the wrong. According to Jesus, how will people know that we're as authentic disciples by our love for who? One another. Last week, we talked about reaching out. The Bible has a lot to say about reaching out. For us to go reach people who aren't a part of the, the family of God yet has a lot to say. It says, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give praise to your God, Father in heaven, right? That was last week. What does he say here? He says they're going to know we're his disciples by our love for one another. That's why in our continuums, we have two. We have one for reach out. We have one for serving. Um, and we'll get to these continuums here in, in just just a minute. Now, I do want to say something about this whole, what does this look like today, the foot washing? Um, there are a whole lot of people who, who have had experiences where they've done the foot washing and they say it's very powerful. I've, I think I've done it a long time ago, but it, um, it, it can be very powerful. It's very intimate, very, um, very humbling experience. But what I want us to remember is that what was happening with Jesus was very different than us doing it for one another. It, it was very different. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying it's very different. Because back then, it was an everyday task. It was something that just, it needed to be done. And what Jesus did is he took an everyday task and he did it in a surprising and sacrificial way. So just keep that in mind. Again, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying don't conflate it too closely with the context. The other thing was very specific about that context is that if we had more time, we could go into all the details. Jesus was also foreshadowing the sacrifice he was about to make including the fact that he was talking cleansing and all this kind of stuff. So again, not saying don't do foot washing. There's value to it. I just want to say this. I, I personally get unsettled when I see it done on a stage. I, I think that what was happening there was very different than that. I think what was happening there was it was a sacrificial, surprising act of service in a context where no one expected it. And that's one of the ways we can show our love for one another and let the world see that if we're loving each other in that kind of way. As we turn a corner then to applying this to our lives, I invite you to write this down. I told many of you we'd see this quote again. I love this quote. There are things we're obligated to that we benefit from. And we could come away from this teaching, this important teaching, going, oh, here's another thing I've got to do. And if I don't do this, I'm going to walk around with a lot of guilt and all this kind of stuff. Okay, we're obligated to it. It's a command. A command that we all benefit from personally and corporately. Let me give you an example. Is at our last snow camp for our teenagers. Um, we were there and I was looking at this, this family that's been so faithful 
from the almost the beginning of our church, the Ibergs. And half of the Ibergs were up there, and I think the other half were probably serving somewhere else. And I just felt like I got to go up and say something. So I pulled Maria and um, and uh, one of her sons and daughter aside, and and uh, Sam and and uh, and uh, uh, Jaden. And um, I just said, "You guys, I just felt like I want to say thank you." You know, when you joined our church back a, like a year in, you could have went someplace that actually had a building and had a youth program and all these kind of things. But thank you. Thank you for coming and investing and serving and making such a difference. And then Maria, the mom, cuts me off. And she's like, hey, 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 no, it's not like that at all. She goes, from the first day we came, it felt like we were coming home. And I remember I remember coming in and little Jaden had these rubber boots and he, he was so scared. And Laura got down to his 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 eye level and welcomed him and, and, and brought him back by his little hand to the kids area, you know, and we were home. And so we went back and forth like, no, 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 thank you. No, 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 thank you. That's how it works, isn't it? There's things we're obligated to that we benefit from. When you're invited to somebody's house and they do the dishes, it's their house. If you're doing the dishes together, you're home. The kind of community that most of us long for and are searching for is a community where we love each other the way that Jesus modeled and taught. And that's what we're inviting everyone into. Contributing to that kind of community. Let's build that kind of community. This Lent, we're working our way through a teaching series called After Yes. It's a series about reordering our lives around the example and teaching of Jesus. I mentioned some continuums earlier inside your bulletins, those who are here. Um, if you go to our website, go to man.church, um, and you'll download today's message, you can find this there. These continuums, what we did is we tried to identify six essentials. And we tried to say, this is a tool you can use in each of these six essential areas of Christianity to, to say, okay, where am I at and what might the next step look like? Today we're zeroing in on that serve continuum. That serve continuum. And if you look at this, one of the things you'll notice on the serve continuum, on the just getting started, we've got the word consumer. You know, when it comes to serving, it's all about, I'm just coming. I'm just showing up. I'm consuming the teaching. I'm consuming the, the music. I'm consuming these types of things. You'll notice on this chart, leader is on the opposite side. And isn't that often how our culture reverses that? Often it, it you think, oh, I want to be a leader so that people are serving me. In Christianity, it's the opposite. The greatest is the one who serves. So the continuum starts with I'm consuming and you work your way towards I'm, I'm just serving, serving more, more folks as I try to model the kind of servant leadership that Jesus modeled. All right. So if you look in the mirror and you look at the continuum, what's your next step? What's your next step? If you're a consumer, your next step, volunteer. Find a way to help out in an area of passion, skill, or need. If you've been on the sidelines, your next step is to serve. I remember one of our names, uh, members named Dave. Dave was a CEO. And so he had a really demanding schedule. He couldn't commit to regular being on a team. You know what the CEO would do? Every Sunday, back in our Chippewa middle school days, every Sunday that he was in town, he would always just go up and down every row picking up trash. Okay, that's not something you see a lot of CEOs doing. This is an example, I think, of what we're talking about here. There are ways that all of us can serve our brothers and sisters. You can go to manny.church slash serve. You can find a bunch or, or talk to us. We would love to help you find a way to, to try to get involved and help to serve one another. All right. So if you're a volunteer, then a next step would be become a faithful volunteer. You wouldn't think you'd have to say that. But how many of you guys have ever seen situations where people are not faithful in just in 
life and how frustrating and how hard that is. And by faithful, I talk about, well, join a team and then show up. And what do I mean by showing up? I mean it in the show up kind of way. Keep your commitments. Be fully present. Represent well. All right. Here's the next step after that. If you're become a, you're faithful, you found some ways to serve, you're faithful, become a multiplier. Become a multiplier. How do you do that? You invite other people. Hey, come and help out. And then you help equip them to become better in, at hospitality and, and better at the things that they're doing. Think about this. You know, we, Becca, our, our new children's director, she's amazing. And, and if she were to invite 12 new people to the team, how many people would we have that are new to the team? We would have 12. If each of those 12 just invited one more pre- person to the team, she does 12, they each do one, how many we got? Now we got 24. That's pretty good math. And that's not something we came up with. Who, where did we get this model from? Seems that Jesus invited 12, who we then said, go invite some more. All right. Okay, so next step, your multiplier, if you keep following that continuum, you're now doing the things that a Christian leader does. Now, are there some more things? Of course. Provide clear vision, clarify team priorities, solve difficult problems, lead change, those kind of things. But the foundation of leadership, it's serving. That's the foundation of Christian servant leadership. Well, as you bring today's teaching to a close, let's go back to the movie. But let's go back to the movie Redeemed now. We're not going to point out the wrong. Let's let's look at something they did right. Somebody in the movie, something they got right. One of the turning points in the film comes when some dissatisfied customers complained that the hippies had dirty feet. And they were bringing their dirty feet into the church and they were getting dirt on the floor. Which, I'm like, shoes don't do that. But I guess not. So, they were all mad and they said, that's why, one of the reasons we got to kick out these hippies is because they got dirty feet. Can you guess what happened in the next scene? The next scene, the following Sunday, there's the pastor at the door washing their dirty feet. And as everyone comes in, and you can see the look on the consumer Christians, you can see the look, they didn't like this. The pastor in the message, he starts talking about Jesus' vision for the church. And he said, this is a place where this door is open. This door is open to all who want to come and learn about Jesus. It's open. And then he said this. He said, that door goes both ways. And there were some people that got up and walked out. And those people that got up and walked out, they missed out. Because God did something really special through that little congregation. Something so special, they made a movie about it. And there was a whole movement that got that, that came out of that whole thing. Their church was a place that did the best they could. And when you know the true story, there was a lot of challenges, a lot of things that, that, um, that weren't as they should have been. But this was a bunch of imperfect people trying their best to live out a life that Jesus modeled and taught. And God did such a remarkable work that Time Magazine, which was a thing back then, did a cover story on this and the whole bit. And it was really interesting. If you've seen any of the interviews that Kelsey Grammer did, he was the actor that played that pastor. I mean, this is a guy that has five Emmys. This is a guy that's got three Golden Globes. 
he, he broke down. I saw one of the interviews myself. He broke down and started crying. And when he was able to compose himself, he said, this is what happened also when my wife and I watched this movie. She broke down and cried too. And she said, that was the best thing you've ever done. So what are those people that got up and left because church wasn't the way they wanted it to be? They missed out on something that was so good that even the actor that played the pastor telling the story was feeling today. Don't miss out. Don't miss out by being selfish and self-centered because it's not in your best self-interest. Look, here's, let me close with this first. John 13, 17. This is right in the middle of all of this that I just read to you. These are Jesus' words. He says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you what? If you do them. So let's pray to that end. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful that you love us enough to tell us the truth. We're so thankful that you love us enough to not let us turn. I'm, I'm having a picture in my head right now that, that movie Wally, where those little people, they just sit and they just eat and consume and consume and consume. And they're not living a life. They think they are, but they're not. Lord, we pray that we wouldn't be like that, but that we would be people who experience the transforming power of living like you taught us to live and modeled. We pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you'll open our eyes to needs. Some that just need to be met, like doing the dishes, and we all do that. And others that you've uniquely gifted each one of us for with the unique gifts and talents you've given us. Lord, help us to contribute to building something beautiful, something that welcomes people, something that helps folks, something that comes alongside, something that the world can look at as they're all pointing fingers and yelling and shouting and all this kind of stuff. They can look at and hear some people that really love each other. Maybe I should learn more about that. Lord, as we close with this song, House of Miracles, Lord, we pray that these words could come alive in us, that we could together, through the power of your spirit, build a community of faith that honors you and surprises the world in good ways. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.